0: 2020 Sydney Autumn Carnival will reach its zenith with the star championships at Royal Randwick over two exciting days, April 4 and April 11. A total of $20 million in prize money will be distributed with eight Group 1 races programmed. April 4, the star Doncaster, the TJ Smith, the Australian Derby and the English Sires Produce. Co-feature will be the New Haven Park Country Championship Final. Saturday 11 features the Longines Queen Elizabeth Stakes, the Swept Sydney Cup, the Australian Oaks and the Coolmore Legacy Stakes. Co-feature event is the Polytrack Provincial Championship Final. The Championships, April 4 and April 11, the Grand Finals of Australian Racing. When I Am Invincible joined the stallion roster at Yarraman Park Stud in 2010, there were some who doubted his credentials. His own sire, Invincible Spirit, had only a modest Southern Hemisphere profile and he descended from a female side, which was solid but not spectacular. Most significantly, his CV was lacking the powerful endorsement of a Group 1 win. He'd won a Group 3, he'd won a listed, and he'd run second in the Group 1 Goodwood Handicap. His racing career was restricted to just 13 starts because of ongoing foot issues, issues that still require attention. For his first three seasons, he stood at a service fee of $11,000. Last year, he stood at a service fee of $225,000. His 2020 fee hasn't yet been set. In this current season alone, I Am Invincible has had 132 winners of 204 races, including 10 at stakes level. All up, he's getting very close to 500 winners and loving Gabby's success in the William Reed stakes at Mooney Valley made a 10 Group 1 wins for the stallion. The whole Yarriman Park story is a fascinating one. Old-time champion Eurythmic was bred there in 1916. In the 1960s, the stud was owned by the former legendary jockey George Moore, who sold it to an adventurous Englishman called Major James Mitchell, who brought his wife and three young sons to a new life in Australia. Harry and Arthur Mitchell have never left Yarraman Park and pledged to uphold the dream of their late father, who died more than 10 years ago? Middle son Bill trained horses professionally for 23 years, winning 11 Group 1 races and earning the respect of his contemporaries. Let's talk to Major Mitchell's youngest son, Harry, who's been kind enough to join us on the podcast.
1: Good morning, John.
0: You know, your dad would be one proud man if he could see Yarraman Park today.
1: Yeah, I think he would be, John. You know, we've uh, been here quite a while now thanks to him and uh, gradually tried to improve things as we went along. But, um, yeah, the success of the farm in the last few years, he would have been proud.
0: Right off the top, let's highlight I Am Invincible, a horse who has changed the profile of Yarriman Park and has changed the lives of many people. Now, why were you and Arthur so attracted to him in the first place? There was no sign of a Group One on his record.
1: Well, John, it was—we'd been through a pretty tough time. We'd had a couple of stallions that hadn't worked, and we had a horse from uh, South America that had got injured and gave himself little chance because he could only, you know, get about twenty foals in his first crop. So we'd had a bit of a tough time, and we we decided then that we were going to stick to the colonial horses and that. Uh, we weren't going to get away from, um, you know, the Australian horse and the good, good looking fast sprinters. So this horse was um, mentioned to us and we sort of did a little bit of research and we really wanted a, you know, a really good looking fast horse. And we watched his videos and we, we thought he had a hell of a lot of ability, but he was in and out. He used to either win brilliantly or, or he could run terribly, mm. uh, Anyway, long story short, we drove, uh, we flew to Melbourne, and and drove out to look at the horse. And um, we both agreed that he'd want to be absolutely gorgeous. Mm. Otherwise, we weren't interested. So we looked at the horse. He came out of his box, John, and we fell in love with him. Basically, yeah. I've never had I've seen a thoroughbred stallion who who looked like him. He's just the most stunning horse. He was very big, and he had a magnificent big, and he had a head on yep. him, and he's, just an head on him, and he's just got the best head you've ever seen, and very correct horse, and, you know, big and strong. So, look, we thought he was worth a gamble and, um, you know, the rest is history, I suppose.
0: He took your breath away, didn't he, when he walked out of the box?
1: Yeah, he did. He really did. I don't, I don't think I've said that that often in my life, but he really did. I just said, holy hell, look yeah. at this. Yeah. And, um, you know, we knew there'd be people who'd knock him a bit. He didn't win a group one. But, you know, he, he was early favourite for the slipper after his first start. He won by about six, seven lengths and, you know, he just got beaten by forensics who's a two-year-old who who won the slipper and he'd run, you know, very close to take over target. So, you know, we thought there was merit in his best performances were very good. Mm. Um, There was a few mixed ones in the middle, but he was also involved in the EI year, John, where, you know, they couldn't race for a while and. You know, big stallions like that, it didn't help keep him sound, you know. Mm. So um, there was a few things against him, but uh, we thought he was worth a punt.
0: He was owned by former bookmaker, owner and breeder, Ray Gall, who was looking to sell a half share in the horse. Now, is that the way the situation stands today? Yarriman owns half of him.
1: That's correct. Um, yeah, Ray and, and Brett Gall, who have been terrific partners, but uh, they wanted to keep half and sell half. and. Yeah, we, uh, we agreed to that and we decided to keep our half and not syndicate it. Um, what we did do is sell 13 breeding rights in the horse to help him through those tougher years, second, third, fourth year. Mm. And, um, you know, a lot of small breeders did incredibly well and it was, you know, it was great to see and they helped us get the horse going.
0: Mm. Why 13? That's an unusual number.
1: Well, I think we offered them to a few people and not many people sort of wanted to take them up. It was a pretty good deal. It just meant that if you send a mare for three years, we gave you a nom for life. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. they've now, most of those have been traded now to the bigger players. Um. But, you know, th- there were some great horses bred out of those breeding rights, including Brazen Bow. Mm.
0: Well, some of those breeding rights to I Am Invincible have since been offered at public auction. Now, I can remember one a while back, uh, that was purchased by Phoenix Thoroughbreds, $575,000 for a breeding right. Does that still stand as the record?
1: I think so. There might have been one make 600, John, but, uh, Mm. yeah, it's pretty surreal numbers. But, I mean, the horse stands at a very high fee now, and I think these big players in the game see that, um, you know, they can get out of it in two or three years, and it gives them access to the horse. So. Yeah, look, it doesn't surprise me they make that, but it is a lot of money, obviously. Mm.
0: Now, let's go back to 2010. How the hell do you get a non-Group One winning son of a low-profile stallion started at the stud? Was there immediate interest in him at $11,000? Well, as
1: you know, John, people all come up and look at the stallions uh, in August and, and, you know, during the winter months, and he was clearly... The best-looking new horse in the hunter, and there was there was critics of him, and there was other people who just loved him, mm. and um, we had a lot of small breeders who used to support us, so who'd been clients of ours for a long time, and uh, you know a lot of those people decided to send a mare to him because he was such a lovely horse, mm. and um, you know that was how it started, and he actually got 135 mares, I think, in his first year, which was pretty good going, really. Surprisingly, and, uh, he had it? yeah. Well, it was, John, and then, in, then when his foals were born, um, they were outstanding, his foals from day one, and, uh, you know, people kept getting good foals, so then in comes the repeat business. So mm. he had more mayors every year, really. Mm. So it wasn't uh, it it was, it was as hard as you think, funny thing.
0: Yeah. Now, all being well, how many mayors would you expect him to cover this year?
1: Well, we're going through this. Very odd time in the world at the moment, which is pretty scary, John. I, I, I mean, things have to go on and horses will be bred. Look, as he's 15, we will be reducing his numbers. I would have thought he'll cover 150 mares this year,
0: mm. something know, like that. Who would have dreamed when he went to stud that just a few years down the track two of the greatest mares in Australian racing history would pay him a visit? Now, firstly, Black Caviar. I think she's, yeah, had, she's a, uh, unbelievable. She's been to him three times, hasn't she? she she's got a filly, two thousand and eighteen, a cult last year, and I presume she's safely in foal again this year.
1: She, she didn't go foal this year because she got quite late, and they've given her a year off. But ah, gosh so of she's care. she's got a rising two-year-old, a yearling now, mm-hmm. that uh, is an absolute cracking filly. just getting broken in or been finished breaking in. Mm -hmm. and the reports on her are very, very good, and she is an absolute lovely type of filly.
0: Yeah, and the cult?
1: Yeah, the cult's nice too. I've seen the cult because the mayor comes in to be covered, and Mm -hmm. and he's a nice source too. He'd be valuable, John, if he could run.
0: Yeah, oh, wouldn't he? Now, has he stamped both of those, the 2018-2019 foals?
1: Well, he has, but, I mean, I, I would say that, 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 you know, you can see a bit of mum in the, in the especially in the yearling. Can you? Um, but, you know, it's got a blend of mum and dad, really, but uh, there's a bit of black caviar about it as well. Mm. But, I mean, he is a stallion that tends to dominate the mares, but, um, you know, but maybe a mare as good as hers, you'd like to have a little bit of her in it as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, Harry, when Winx retired almost a year ago, there was much speculation about her likely consort, what a proud moment it must have been for the Mitchells and everybody at Yarraman Park when that mare walked off the float onto your property, Winx.
1: Yeah, John, it was. I mean, you know, it's a great um, accolade for the horse and, you know, we didn't ever expect the horse to reach the heights he has. But, you know, to get a mare like Winx and they, they had every horse in the world to go to and they decided to come to him We were delighted, and it was great for well, it was great for us, but it was great for all the people who work here with us, and you know, everyone got a real buzz out of it. You know, Winx was just a wonder mare, and uh, we were very proud to have her on our, you know, visit our farm.
0: Mm. Now, did she go in foal on the first service?
1: No, not the first one, Mm. but uh, yeah, she went in foal after that. So she's safely in foal. She'll foal, I think, in September, uh, early September, something like that. So that's going to be a very exciting day for. Well, for the ownership group and obviously for us as well. And um, let's just hope everything goes well and she's as good a broodmare as she was a racehorse.
0: Do you have any idea where she'll be going this year?
1: No, John, I don't know.
0: You've already mentioned Brazen Bow. I think it's fair to say he was the horse to give I Am Invincible a real kick along. He won two Group 1s himself.
1: Oh, definitely. Brazen Bow was the horse that got us going. I mean, I, I'm invincible was obviously always going to be a very good stallion. But to get the, the gun cult in your first crop is so important. It, it increases the quality of mares quicker and everything. But, you know, when he, when he won the Cool Moor, it was just a massive day. I was there that day, and I remember saying to my wife, you know, this is a massive, massive race for us, although we have no ownership in him. Mm. And when he won very easily, it was a very, very exciting day, one of the best days on a race course for me. Mm, of course.
0: Well, he's also got Vidora, I Am A Star, Invincibella, Loving Gabby, who won that uh, William Reed Stakes on Friday night at Mooney Valley. Uh, he's got Ooh Hood, who won a Group 1 and was narrowly beaten in a couple of others, and Voodoo Lad. Now, he's an interesting one, Harry, because uh, anybody who worries about the longevity factor with I Am Invincible's progeny should take note that Voodoo Lad won a Group One in Perth as an eight-year-old.
1: John, I think one of the strengths of I'm Invincible is he is a very good sire of two-year-olds, and but they they do train on. He doesn't get many that don't go on, and I think you know Voodoo Lad's a great example, and that Hootson was a good example. Loving Gabby had a lot of racing at two, but she's going better now than she was at two, so. That's one of the horses' real attributes, I believe, is that they train on so well.
0: I'll bet Yarraman Park looks very different as we speak to the way it looked at the start of the year.
1: Yeah, we've been through a really bad drought. Um, I don't think anyone that I know has seen a worse drought. But, you know, we learned to deal with it, John, and um, the horses always looked great. You know, there was a lot of extra cost and work involved, but we've come out the other end of it. You know, I was very proud of the people on the farm How we all sort of got through it and learned how to deal with it and we had to adapt our feeding and things. But, you know, we've we've come out of it now and the farm looks really, really well at the moment. So let's hope we've sort of come out of the drought permanently, hopefully.
0: Now, the size of the property has fluctuated in the century since Eurythmic was sold there in 1916. What area does it encompass now, Harry? Oh, there's just
1: 4,000 acres, John.
0: Mm-hmm. And great country, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it's really good horse country. It's, it's red, you know, country and it's, um, it's, it's very good for horses. It's on a gentle slope so the ground never gets boggy and horses here, a lot of people buying the yearlings always comment on how good the horse's feet are off this farm. Mm. You know, it's just it's the land they're on. And, um, no, a lot of very good horses bred here and uh, we wouldn't want to swap this place for anywhere else, that's for sure.
0: I remember when George Moore bought that property, he was very excited about it. He spent every spare moment there uh, for three or four years. He invested a lot of time, a lot of sweat, and a lot of money, but he lost heart, didn't he? When he simply couldn't find the right stallions.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably right, John. I'm not not completely sure of why George decided to sell, but he really did put a hell of a lot of money and time and effort into the farm. He was a very passionate man and. Um, You know, attention to detail was amazing and um, he had been looking for a property and um, he, you know, really liked this place and um, it was a testament to him really that it is such a good property.
0: The Mitchell legacy began at Yarraman in the year of 1966 when your dad and his great mate, uh, the noted English bloodstock agent George Blackwell, visited Australia and paid George Moore a visit, and the Major fell in love with
1: the place. Yeah, it was 1968. but um yep. Yeah. But, look, John, he came out on a sort of working holiday with his friend George Blackwell, who was a bloodstock agent, most famous in Australia for buying Wilkes for the Kelly family, mm. um, and he was a friend of George Moore's, so that's how my father came to stay here, and um, obviously George and him, got to know each other and then George mentioned that he might sell the property and my father's ears pricked up a bit and um, mm. anyway, a deal got done and he went back to my mother in England and said, we're moving to Australia, I bought a property. So, uh, be a bit of a shock for her, I would have thought.
0: Oh, what a bombshell. But <laughs> She was obviously a genteel English girl who knew absolutely nothing about searing heat and very big blowflies.
1: No, she was, uh, she was a tough lady, my mother. She was good, you know, but um, she she just embraced it and, and we all had it out here. and um, Yeah, but I imagine she hadn't seen the heat and flies that we used to get here in those days. No.
0: Well, you and your brothers Arthur and Bill took to it like a duck to water. You were all quickly enrolled in school and you got on with the business of becoming Aussies. But a little bit later... I think before you made a commitment to work in the breeding industry in Australia, I think all three of you headed back to England for a while, didn't you?
1: We've all worked around the world. We sort of left school and we were never university-type. So, you know, Arthur worked in Ireland and America and and I think he did a stint as well in South Africa. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I worked in Ireland and, and England and America as well and Bill went sort of down the training route a bit more yeah he uh, he worked for trainers in America and England and then he worked for Neville Beg here and then he sort of went out on his own with two horses at Warwick Farm so um he went down that road but yeah we've all sort of worked around the world and got to meet a lot of people who are still friends today and business contacts today you know
0: mm. Harry I'll just get you to stand by while we clear a commitment on the podcast back shortly The 2020 English Australian Easter Yearling Sale will offer 514 yearlings of the highest quality. The sale features siblings to 181 stakes winners, including 52 Group 1 winners, as well as the progeny of 170 stakes winning mares. 58 high profile stallions will be represented. Those with the largest consignments are Schnitzel, I am Invincible, Capitalist, American Pharaoh, Not a Single Doubt, Fastnet Rock, Sebring, and exceed and excel the progeny of 15 first season sires will go under the hammer the 2020 english australian easter yearling sale will be conducted over two days tuesday april 7 wednesday april 8 at the world-class riverside stables complex at warwick farm selling will commence on both days at 10am it's a stunning catalogue now but by the time you got back to Yarriman Park the place didn't look quite as pristine as it had when Dad first purchased it from George Moore. There was a lot of hard work for you young blokes, many blisters and many aching backs.
1: Yeah, no, it had run down a little bit, John. And You know, we, Dad had tried a few um, English and Australians because that's what they thought. Everyone thought the English horses were better than the Australian horses, but in those days, a lot of the horses were sort of B-grade handicappers coming out of England, and a lot of them, yeah. didn't make it no. um so look the place got to run down a bit and, and it was a big place so you know it was a bit much for dad possibly so when we arrived we sort of arrived back from our sort of trips working everywhere we just knuckled into it and we had to you know clean all the paint off the old white fences and yeah you know we basically rebuilt the farm over a period of 30 odd years but um mm. there was a hell of a lot of work in those days and we loved it and we played hard and worked hard and You know, it was just our life. We never, um, you know, we never really thought about it. We just had to get in. And we've always been, you know, proud of the place and tried to make it as good as we could. And we've, you know, every year we try and improve it. So it's been a life journey, really.
0: Just looking at some of the horses, he stood early in the piece. There was Straight Master, Sirocco, old timers will remember these names. Fleeting Orbit was another, Memento, Rutland, uh, then he got an Australian-bred one in Pilgrim's Way. Beechers was another Aussie horse, uh, but he really wanted a well-performed, well-bred Australian horse, and he found one in Catbird, a Golden Slipper-winning son of Danehill. And didn't he do a good job?
1: Yeah, look, that was all came about for an association with um, Mr. Ken Jones. He uh, we stood a horse for him called Forest Glow, who was a very fast American horse who actually wasn't much good. Uh, but we had a good relationship with Mr. Jones, and that was how we came to get Catbird. When I mean, you imagine what Catbird would be worth today, being by Dane Hill winning a Golden Slipper mm. out of the family he was from. But uh, he was a very, very good horse to us. and Unfortunately, tragically, got laminitis and died early, but he was a very good horse to the farm.
0: And then there was Magic Albert. A good racehorse, winner of a group two, the Peter Pan Stakes, which is now the Golden Rose. He was by the brilliant Zedative, and what a terrific bread and butter sire he became, Harry. You could buy them for a sensible price. They just broke in, and they ran the Magic Alberts.
1: he's a great stallion for us. Um, You know, a man called Dennis Wilton owned him and. Arthur went and met him and we agreed to stand the horse and uh, look, it worked out very well. We had a good relationship. I I look back on it now and I wish that he'd been syndicated. I think he he just struggled from lack of good mares early on. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't have the broodmare band we'd have today and things, but, you know, we did very well out of him and he produced a lot of very good horses and he produced some Group 1 horses. I love this city, Mm -hmm. Albert the Fat. I mean, he's a very, very good sire. I think he was... You know, with a bit more push, I think he could have been even better.
0: The enormous thrill of seeing I'm Invincible reach such dizzy heights helped to cushion the blow of losing Hinchinbrook in 2018 under bizarre circumstances. What happened?
1: Yeah, it was bizarre, John. He um, he exercised the stallions on the walking machine and um, he was just fresh and he kicked up and... um, when he put his leg down, his hock shattered. Um, yeah, he was sort of, he pig rooted up and playing, feeling good, and then he came down and um, he shattered his hock, uh, well, just below his hock, and then it ran straight into his hock. So, mm. you know, we got the vets, and there was no there was no saving him. It was, it was, um, It was too catastrophic to save him, so it was a very sad day.
0: He mm. was a three-quarter brother in blood to Schnitzel. He'd been a good racehorse himself. He'd won a couple of two-year-old stakes races, and he was placed in four Group 1s. Had plenty going for him, didn't he?
1: Yeah, he did, Johnny He was unlucky. He raced in the Black Caviar, um, Hayless Era, and he ran placings behind them. Mm. You know, he was very unlucky in a size. He ran very well in a slipper. He missed the start in an Oakley plate and ran third. Yeah, he was a Group 1 horse. He didn't win a Group 1, which is sort of what we sort of look for. mm you know, because it makes them affordable for a stud like us, you know.
0: At the time of his death, he was doing a cracker job at the stud. He'd had 14 stakes winners, three group ones, two in Australia, and one in Hong Kong. And he'd been champion first season sire 2014 15. He was very, very commercial.
1: Yeah, he was very commercial. He was very well bred, obviously. Um, his mother, Slipper a very good mare, obviously, the mother of Slitsop, was a great stallion. So, yeah, it was um, it was a matter of probably not winning the Group 1. He didn't probably get the recognition early, but he earned his reputation and, um, again, he got a very good horse his first crop called Press Statement. who mm. now stands at Binary and, I um, oh, look, Rick was just going to go on and on to be a really good stallion and uh, mm. he'll be sorely missed here, that's for sure.
0: His last yearling crop is in the sale ring this year and I believe you've got one for the English Easter sale.
1: Yeah, one for the English Easter Sale out of a good race mare called Miss Vandal, mm-hmm. who's already thrown two stakes winners. Yeah, he's a lovely horse. He's the last one for us, and he's a really nice horse. And um, you know, I just hope he goes to a great home because he's, I think, he'll be a very good race horse.
0: With the loss of Hinchinbrook, you needed a backup stallion for I Am Invincible, and how fitting it was that you were able to buy one of his Group One winning sons, Hellbent who won the 2018 William Reed. and what a win that was, Harry. I can recall watching that race. He wasn't entitled to win
1: that night. Oh, look, he's another one, John. He We purchased uh, 50% of him as a very early three-year-old from a man called Alan Cardy. And, um, yeah, look, it's, it was a good journey. It was frustrating as a racehorse. He got beaten a couple of times, terribly unlucky. Um, you know, he was very unlucky in an ugly plate and he was interfered with in the William Reid. But we got our result we wanted in the William Reid that night. And when he was on that horse, he's just dynamite, turn of foot. Uh, we're really excited about him, John, and um, we've really supported him heavily. So, you uh, know, we love having a son of our um, Invincible and he was the one that we thought was most like his father. So, you know, we've got yearlings next year and we've got some foals now and, um, you know, they're... They're really nice horses.
0: Now, that first crop, you tell me, are bay dominant, and that's a terrific sign in any new stallion. Old Tassio himself would have been tickled pink to hear that.
1: Yeah, well, not all horses are bay dominant. It doesn't mean a stallion's not going to be good if he's not bay dominant, but interestingly, in that sire line, the best ones have been. Yes. Um, Green Desert was, and I'm Invincible was, and now Hellbent is, and yeah, we really—he really stamps them like his dad. They've all got the same sort of shape. Yep. Uh, and and I just like to see that. Um, and they've got very good temperaments. And you know, we did syndicate a, a bit of Hell Bent, so he's got a lot of very good support from a lot of good breeders and a lot of Australia's best breeders have bought a share in him. And uh, mm. yeah, we can't wait to to see them get to the racecourse in a year and a half's time.
0: I don't want to miss the opportunity to pay tribute to your brother Bill who made his mark as a trainer before his retirement in 2006. He started off at Warwick Farm with two horses before moving on to Randwick from where he trained 11 Group 1 winners and the first of them was from the planet in the 1989 Epsom and it may have been the first Group 1 winner for the jockey too grant cooksley
1: yeah john um bill's a you know, very very good horse trainer and in that you know he started off um, with really no no support from from the farm we we couldn't afford we, we didn't have any good horses back in those days and mm. he made his own way from warwick farm to Randwick and buying you know cheap yearlings and uh you know he did very very well he's a good trainer and um From the planet, I had a small share in him, and um, that was a hell of a day when he won the Epsom for Grant Cooksley. I remember um, Mick Dittman had been suspended. He was booked to ride him, Mm. and a New Zealand friend of Bill said there's a guy called Grant Cooksley in New Zealand who's a very good rider, so he could ride the weight, and we were stuck, and Grant came over and rode him a treat, and he won very easily. I think he won by nearly four lengths that day, and uh, Mm. I think Billy Billy used to use Grant a bit from then on, actually, so uh, it's a good story.
0: Grant is still riding in New Zealand, Harry, and uh, I'm only having a stab at his age, but he's got to be late 60s. He's a marvel. Well, he
1: looked he looked 50 back then, I reckon. <laughs> you know, Grant, Grant, he would be, uh, he'd be a good age, Grant, he's a good bit older than me and, um, mm. you know, a good fella, never said much. No, but, no. Uh, but a good bloke.
0: Liverstone, Elaine was a lovely horse, uh, Bill Trained. He was a $7,000 yearling. He won almost three quarters of a million. Sadly, he didn't win a Group 1, but he was placed in three of them.
1: Yeah, well, he had the unfortunate problem of being in the same era as Superimposed, John. So mm-hmm. I think twice he he looked, um, you know, home in a Group 1. I think it was the Nebson or Doncaster when Superimposed came from last and mm-hmm. got him in about the last two strides. So he was only a little cheap horse and, you know, he, he got beaten a few times by, by Sudbury Pose, but I don't think I've ever seen a braver horse than him. No. He would give you his all every time and uh, he was a hell of a good horse for the stable, that's for sure.
0: Dignity Dancer was good for the stable too. He won almost two million and a couple of group ones. He won a spring champion and an Australian Guinness.
1: Yeah, he did and he won that triple crown in Melbourne in those days. Um, I mean, Jimmy Castor used to ride him most of the time. Mm. I think Chrissy Munts won the champion stakes on him. He was a fragile horse, mentally, John, but a hell of a race horse. And he was sort of the start of Zabil because he had a very, very light female line. But he was one of the, I think he might have even been the first crop of Zabil. He wasn't first, he was second. Mm. Um, and I think he sort of was one of the early sort of flag bearers for Zabil, who obviously went on to be a. Great stallion for Cambridge stud, you know, but uh, he was a very talented horse. He broke the track record at Randwick in the Champion Stakes, but it stood for 20, 30 years and he smashed the record. He was a very good horse.
0: Bill was one of five trainers who had the privilege to prepare a pony-sized iron horse called Stylish Century. At his very first start for Bill, he almost got away with the cox plate and shortly after that, he won the Victoria Derby. Kevin Moses rode him in both of those.
1: Yeah, that's right, John. Um, solar century had a few trainers, but, um, <laughs> you know, Billy had him for sort of a good bit of his career and, um, you know, he just got nutted by Al Murad and the Cox Plate and then he won the Derby very easily. And he was one of our top weight for age horses. But as you say, he was a light-framed horse, a beautiful mover and, and uh, yeah, very good horse, Like to lead. and. He was a very good horse for the stable at the time. He really was. Mm,
0: little fella. And I remember doing something uh, at the stables one day when Noel Doyle was training him. I think Noel was his first trainer. And he had tiny feet, Harry, stylish century, pony feet.
1: Yeah, little feet. I mean, Noel, Noel started with him and did a pretty good job. But then it was decided to move him to, to Bart Cummings. And then it was decided to move him to Billy. And then it, he had a couple of other moves after that. But... Uh, Mm. Yeah, he could run six furlongs and break records, and yet you know, he could win a derby. He was, he was a very versatile horse. I think he could have run most distances he was trained to. You know. he was a very good horse.
0: Billy won a, a dozen races with General Nadim, including a Magic Millions Classic, a Lightning Stakes, and a New Market. What a strong, compact, powerful sprinter he was.
1: Yeah, he's probably the best sprinter Billy ever trained. He was a he was a horse that um, brilliant horse, brilliantly fast, and and a lovely, lovely little horse. He he had a slightly turned leg at the sales, I think. So I think he cost twenty thousand. But the, um, he was uh, given to Bill sort of through a connection with Peter Moody in those days, who was Bill's foreman. And um, mm-hmm. you know, he was a great horse for the stable. He Magic Million, you say Lightning, Newmarket. He was. Very, very quick horse and a lovely horse.
0: About 2005, Bill felt the need for a change. He was training out of Caulfield, he had a crook back and he wasn't enjoying it anymore. He ventured into consultancy work as a bloodstock agent and later went into a full-time position with the Sedgenho group. I think he's still there.
1: Yeah, Johnny did. I mean, training was good really, and he really enjoyed it, but... Um... You know, it, it, it's a hard business, and he, he didn't want to do it for the whole of his life. So I think it was a good decision, actually. He got a very good job with Sedgineau, and uh, he helped build up uh, the Sedgineau Broodmare Band as it is today, which is incredibly strong. And, um, you know, he, uh, he's he been involved with them, and he still is today on a slightly more restricted basis, but he still works for Sedgineau. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's obviously gone on his own now with, with his – son, James, into a bloodstock business as well.
0: I remember him as a very talented and a very professional trainer and from a media viewpoint, and I'm sure I speak on behalf of all of my colleagues, he was always very accessible and very pleasant to the media.
1: Oh, yeah, he would have been his good guy, a friendly guy and, uh, you know, we're brothers and he's a great trend and, um, yeah, no, that doesn't surprise to me, Johnny. was always... You know, we've got to be helpful with the media. It's our business, you know what I mean? Hmm.
0: You've had a long and happy association with Inglis and that will continue for a long time into the future. You've got 11 yearlings for the Inglis Easter sale under the Yarriman Park banner. Some of them are yours, some belong to clients.
1: That's right, John. Yeah, we've had a great association with Inglis for a long, long time and, uh, you know, I'm not even sure of the exact First year we started selling with them, I'm, I think about, well, I think it would have been 1970, and, uh, you know, we've had some great sales there, and, and um, they've always been a company we've liked dealing with. Their integrity second to none, and I'm, I hope we're still selling with them in the years to come.
0: I remember one memorable year you had with English. You sold the top cult and the top filly in 2008. Now, that's got to be the ultimate achievement for any commercial stud.
1: Yeah, John, that was a great uh, that was a great sale. I mean, we were still a pretty small stud, and no one really knew much about us. But uh, we had a uh, full sister to a Lingi. Uh, we were fortunate enough to buy a mother before a lingi had raced, and uh, we had a reduced Choice colt. Um, that was the year reduced Choice was just winning everything. I think he won the Diamond, the Slipper. So we were we were very lucky that year. The stars aligned for us and, and we had a great sale. And That was really the turning point where we could afford to then go and buy some better mares. And it's the last 10 years where we've really sort of, you know, got the stud going a bit better.
0: Now, the top price cult and the top price filly, what was their eventual fate?
1: Well, the cult, the cult went to South Africa. He was bought by a man called uh, Charles Laird who was a trainer and he Bought the horse for a man called Marcus Euster. Uh, He had three starts. He had a winner, second and a third, and then he got bitten by a snake. Mm. Um, So he wasn't a great success. Uh, The filly was. She was early favourite for the Oaks. She was stakes place. She went to Lee Friedman. Um, She certainly wasn't a a great racehorse like Alinghi, but she's been a good broodmare and um, everyone's done quite well out of her and we've still got a bit of that family today. Mm. So uh, she, she was a success.
0: What was her name, Harry? It's unfair of me to pop that one on you.
1: No, perfect persuasion. Ah, good. Was her name? She was bought by Kilmore, and they've owned her there and sold foals out of her, and um, you know they've ended up doing quite well.
0: Well, when that beautiful horse, I am Invincible, walked out of the box at Peter Morgan's stables in 2010, you would never have imagined what he was destined to achieve for your business. For your family and many of your clients, all in one exciting decade.
1: Well, John, when we when we bought the horse, we sort of hoped he might be a twenty thousand dollar stallion and be a good, solid mid-range, you know, stallion. So to reach the heights he has and to break Daniel and Snitzel's record last year and have twenty eight individual stakes winners in one year. Uh, no, we never dreamt of that, and you sort of don't think that'll ever happen to you. But uh, it's been a great ride, and uh, it's been very good to watch some of our smaller clients do incredibly well out of him, mm. as well as ourselves. But uh, no, it's been enjoyable, and uh, you know we're most uh, appreciative of the, you know, the punt we took. And you know, you throw a bit of luck into these things, John. And um, yes, we bought the horse, but you know, we never had any idea we were going to um, achieve what he's achieved.
0: When your dad left that little farm in Norfolk in the mid-1960s to build a new life in a faraway land, he showed a great sense of adventure and I've always felt great courage, Harry. It was a bold move from a remarkable bloke and with a little help from I Am Invincible, the Yarraman Park of 2020 is exactly what your dad saw in his dreams.
1: Well, I'd say, yeah, it was a pretty gutsy call to, to you know, come and just move to Australia and uh, three young kids and things. that uh, We loved it and it didn't worry us and uh, he was a bit of an adventurer. and Dad had a great life. He's not here now, but he had a great life. He had a lot of friends and, um, you know, he enjoyed himself and he, he took a punt that's probably been wonderful for us, John. We've been the beneficiaries of it probably with our families, I mean, I think it's been much easier and better life here than probably would have been in England, which would have been a lot harder.
0: You know, you're the first Pommy I've had on the podcast in a long time.
1: <laughs> oh, well, I don't sound like a Pommy. I'm <laughs> probably Australian nowadays. You certainly
0: yeah, 100%. Harry Mitchell, great to have you on. Thanks for talking to us, and I hope you have a good English sale 2020, coming up shortly. Thank you, John. Harry Mitchell on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound.